Welcome to Condensed Matter, condensing recent work in metaphysics and the philosophy of science down to what matters. I'm your host, Sam Kington Knight. The focus of this episode is John Heil's paper, Aristotelian Supervenience, published in the Proceedings of the Aristotelian Society in 2015. Here are some true statements. Grass is green, snow is white, Biden is president of the USA. What makes these true? Well, the way the world is, in some respect, makes each of these true, or so it would seem. The world is such that grass, the stuff that grows in fields, lawns and football pitches, is in fact green. And something similar could be said for the other two statements. Some way the world is makes these true. Now consider these statements. Sugar can dissolve in hot tea. If Biden hadn't won the election, Trump would have won. What makes these true? Since these statements do not say anything about how the world actually is, it's difficult to say what makes them true. They say something about what's possible or what would be the case if things were different from how they actually are. These are examples of modal statements. So then what makes modal statements true? Many philosophers appeal to possible worlds in response to this question. It's true that sugar can dissolve in tea because there is some possible world in which sugar does dissolve in tea. And it's true that if Biden hadn't won the election, Trump would have won because in the nearest possible world in which Biden doesn't win, Trump wins. This way of thinking about modality was made popular by David Lewis and is tied up with Lewis's Humean metaphysics. In this paper, John Heil explores the relationship between Humean metaphysics and the account of modality in terms of possible worlds. He then proposes an alternative account of modality in a more Aristotelian spirit. Lewis is famous for his modal realism, according to which other possible worlds are concrete universes just like ours, but spatiotemporally isolated from us. That is to say, Lewis did not think of possible worlds as fictions or sets of sentences or propositions or anything else abstract. He thought of them as the exact same kind of thing as the universe that we inhabit. Lewis has various arguments for his modal realism, all of which come back to the same broad point. Possible worlds are better at doing the philosophical work required of them if they are understood as concrete parallel universes than if they are understood in some other way. Have a look back at episode 19 for discussion of the peculiarity of this methodology. The philosophical work that we are interested in here is that of accounting for modality. Why does Lewis think that concrete possible worlds are required to account for modality? The answer comes from his background commitment to Humean metaphysics. Hume famously rejected any necessary connections in nature, and this is the guiding idea behind Lewis's Humeanism. According to Lewis, our universe is just a vast, four-dimensional array of properties instantiated at point-sized regions of space-time and the spatiotemporal relations between them. Since there are no necessary connections, the instantiation of any given property implies nothing about which properties must be instantiated anywhere else in the universe. And all truths, according to Lewis, are made true by this vast array of properties that he calls the Humean mosaic. Now this might be all well and good insofar as we want to account for the truth of, for example, grass is green, but how can the Humean mosaic account for modal truths? This is where possible worlds come in. Some will say that it is other possible worlds that make modal truths, such as possibly Trump won the election, true, because there is some world in which Trump did win. 
but Hayal argues that even on Lewis's view, it's really facts about the actual world, the actual human mosaic, that make modal truths true. More specifically, it's facts about the similarity or dissimilarity of the actual arrangement of properties to alternative arrangements of other possible worlds. This, Hayal argues, is what Lewis is motivated to say in order to accommodate our modal discourse, which pervades science and everyday language, if he is to retain his human ontology that is devoid of necessary connections or any unreduced modality. So here's another way of understanding Lewis. Modality is reduced to something non-modal, namely similarity between concrete possible worlds. Something else that Heil emphasises is that Lewis is incredibly permissive about what is possible. Contingency rules because there is a possible world for any way things could consistently be. Heil comments that this renders modality supremely unrevealing as to the nature of the universe. Are we really justified in thinking that contingency reigns supreme as per the Lewisian picture? Could Trump really have won re-election? Could Lewis have been an archaeologist instead of a philosopher? Could the laws of nature have been different? Lewis, motivated by his human background rejection of necessity, will unreservedly answer yes to all of these, and hence will maintain that there is a possible world in which each situation just described obtains. Heil pushes us to challenge this assumption that contingency is cheap. Contrary to Lewis, he thinks that claims of contingency must earn their keep, and it does not do to simply say that it is possible that Trump won re-election because there is a world in which he won, because this is just to assert what is at issue. Similarly with regards to the laws of nature, Lewis thought that the laws are contingent because they describe patterns in the distribution of properties at our world, but since that distribution is completely different to other worlds, the laws are different to other worlds too. But Heil suggests that the modal status of the laws should really be thought of as a broadly empirical question, not something that we can establish just by imagining things behaving differently. So Heil thinks that our access to truth-makers for modal truths is fallible. Heil also rejects the Humeans' uncritical outright ban on necessary connections in nature. Humeans will say that the connection between cause and effect is contingent, that causes and effects are loose and separate. Heil questions this assumption and instead maintains that there are good reasons to think that causation is robustly non-contingent. This is because, Heil argues, there are good reasons to think of causes as bringings about. In short, Heil argues that to say that A causes B without bringing about B is incoherent. That's not to say that there is no contingency in the world. Heil thinks that the true source of contingency is in indeterministic or spontaneous physical events, such as radioactive decay. The picture that Heil sketches, then, is one on which causation is non-contingent, and hence our universe is an evolving three-dimensional web of causal interactions. Contingency then enters where there are genuinely spontaneous physical phenomena, such as radioactive decay. These spontaneous events then propagate through the web in non-contingent causal chains of events. The point is that the contingency here is not unconstrained, or anything goes, it has a specific source in physical spontaneity. So on Heil's view, if, for example, the Big Bang was a spontaneous event, then it is contingent that the universe exists, and hence it will be contingent that you were born. Could you have had a different height or hair colour? This, according to Heil, will, and I quote, depend on features of the unimaginably complex causal matrix from which you emerged. Heil further fleshes out his positive account of modality, which he positions in opposition to Lewis's, in terms of properties that he calls causal powers. Properties, according to Heil, are powers in the sense that they 
empower their bearers to behave in certain ways. What a thing would or can do in certain circumstances depends on, quote, its entire complement of powers and on powers possessed by everything with which it interacts. In short, things have powers which interact with other powers and determine the temporal evolution of the universe. If some of these powers engender spontaneity as opposed to strictly deterministic outcomes, then we have contingency. Contrary to Lewis, then, modality isn't reduced to something non-modal on Heil's picture, rather it is located in the powerful properties of individuals. What things can or cannot do is not a matter of what similar things do at other possible worlds, it is a matter of the powers of those things themselves. Something that I particularly like about this paper is the way it highlights the connection between Humeanism and modal realism. This is interesting because many self-professed Humeans are motivated by a sort of anti-metaphysical pro-science stance, but what this paper highlights is that there is a deep tension here. Science is steeped in modality, so to respect science we seem forced to take modality seriously. But the Humean worldview is one that is absent any modality. Lewis realised this and it motivated his modal realism. We might say he outsourced modality to other possible worlds. This is how Barbara Vetter memorably puts it in her book-length treatment of similar issues to those discussed in this paper. But now surely those same anti-metaphysics pro-science philosophers would not like modal realism, so what are their options? There really don't seem to be any easy answers here. While Heil makes the important point that part of the Humean worldview has it that contingency is abundant and necessity scarce, something else that comes out in this paper is a sense in which actually the very opposite is true. The whole array of possible worlds is completely necessary. So one might worry that although modal realism makes reality much bigger than we previously thought it was, it does not thereby yield any true contingency because the pluriverse is necessarily exactly how it is. I had a couple of concerns regarding Heil's positive proposal. The first has to do with the reliance on physical spontaneity to account for contingency. So the jury is out on whether our best physical theory will be deterministic or indeterministic. But do we really think that if physics turned out to be deterministic, there would be absolutely no sense in which things could have been different? I'm not so sure. Finally, the idea of causal powers and the irreducible modality therein may be difficult to swallow. What does it really mean to say that things with their powers bring about future states of the universe, or that modality is an irreducible feature of our world? These are tough questions, and there is certainly plenty of important work to be done on the metaphysics of powers and irreducible modality. Thanks for listening to Condensed Matter. Please rate and review the show on your favourite app so that more people can find it. There's also a link to the show's Patreon page in the episode notes. Your support will help towards the costs associated with hosting and production and will lead to improvements in your future listening experience. Patrons of the show will also get the chance to suggest articles and guests for future episodes.